0: I am Sarah Jane Case and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Monday. I hope your weekend treated you well. Today I am finally re-recording and updating my introduction to the Enneagram episode. This one got lost when we moved from one hosting site to another and I recorded it a long time ago, so it's kind of nice to make some edits and re-record anyway. But first, today's Rosebud and Thorn. My rose today is that my husband and I are killing our marriage right now. Like, we are not killing it, like, killing it, but, like, killing it, like, doing great. This is, like, a really good time in our marriage. It's really fun. We've built so much safety. I just love him. I just love him so much. And... I'm recording this on our anniversary, so the love feelings are high today. That's my rose. My thorn is that I have very low energy today. I say as I yawn. I don't know. I just have very low focus, struggling to perform. And my bud is that I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements in the next few weeks, and I'm excited about it. All right, let's get into today's episode. In today's episode, I wanted to do an introduction to what the Enneagram is, how it works, and how to type yourself. This is an intro episode. The Enneagram is much deeper than this, but we will scratch the surface here. We'll go deeper chatting about wings, subtypes, and different groupings of three in episodes of their own, of course, but for now, those of you who are like, what language are we even speaking? let's go ahead and get started. So the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing tool. The origins honestly are pretty uncertain and potentially controversial, I guess. Like there are several authors who claim to know the lineage of the Enneagram from early Christianity, to the Pythagorean mathematicians, to the Sufi tradition. The three most prominent teachers though that we can know for sure are kind of part of the origin of the Enneagram are Oscar Ichazo. Claudio Naranjo, and George Gurdjieff. But before we dive into how this works, I think it's important to acknowledge that while incredible and insightful, the Enneagram is really a theory. It's not gospel. It's not law. It's a theory, and it's a series of observations that happen to be eerily accurate. It's not really unlike something like astrology or Myers-Briggs, or I've even heard people, Mike McCarg of the Liturgist, compare it to typing your Harry Potter house. Like, Here's the thing. I love the Enneagram. It's my favorite tool of personality, and that's what it is. It's a tool. I think it's important to define that because I see so many people discussing the Enneagram and on my feed and elsewhere, and often it's treated as law and as right or wrong, but The truth is that it's a tool, and as long as it's serving its purpose for you in your life, then that's all that it is. That's what matters. There are so many different schools of thought in the Enneagram. So many people teach it certain ways and have different opinions, and none of them are wrong. All of them are kind of right in their own vein, their own way. I am personally someone who thinks it's a tool in your tool belt, use it to grow. And as long as you're using it to grow, then there's no harm being done. Now, as someone who loves this particular tool and has found it incredibly useful in both my self-awareness and also my ability to understand others and to coach, it's important that I say, while it is not sacred, it is beautiful and can be such an amazing tool to use in your life. So what does set the Enneagram apart from other personality typing tools like Myers-Briggs or something like Social Styles? So the Enneagram is different in three major ways. First, it's internal, meaning it is motivation based. We're focusing on why you do what you do, not what you're doing. So this is incredible because one, you're actually able to implement lasting change because you can't change if you're just trying to fix your behaviors. You need to understand what's going on underneath that why those behaviors exist so you can heal them at the root, but also it means that it's self-guided. You are the only one who can truly know your Enneagram type because you are the only one who knows your basic fears, who really knows your motivations, what's driving you, who really understands why you do the things that you do. With that being said, that to me is so beautiful because you are in charge of the ship. You are driving your car here and you can build self-reliance and self-trust in an appropriate way. Second is the Enneagram is alive, meaning it's moving. Within every Enneagram type, there are levels of health. So I believe that you can be at a different level of health throughout a given day. Then there are stress and rest lines, meaning I can look a different way when I'm stressed out, look a little different when I'm feeling safe and at home and comfortable. So it's not just like, oh, here's what you are, here's what you will always be. It's like, here's what you are, here's what you can look like sometimes, here's a variation of that, here's a way that you can look when you're healthy or when you're unhealthy, here's how you can look when you're stressed or when you're safe. It's living. And third, it's more comprehensive. So the other types can fit into the Enneagram and not necessarily vice versa. So I can take the Myers-Briggs and say, okay, these Myers-Briggs types are... Are most likely to be these Enneagram types or these astrology numbers are, are more likely to be these types but the Enneagram is so detailed and so specific and so in-depth that it doesn't fit so easily into these other formats so I find it much easier to fit them into the Enneagram than the Enneagram into them because the Enneagram is so deep and so detailed so Why do we work with Enneagram? Why did I pick the Enneagram of all of the things in the world that I could have taught? Why the Enneagram? Because it's once you define your Enneagram type, you are able to use it as a tool for self-awareness, growth, and compassion. It shows you the parts of yourself that are one, hardest to deal with, but two, the deepest ingrained. So it helps you to understand why they exist how they are similar to the best parts of who you are, how oftentimes the best of us and the worst of us are hand in hand, kind of one and the same, and it helps us to celebrate these strengths while also working through the parts that don't serve us so well. The Enneagram reveals to us our kind of deepest coping mechanisms. The mask that we've put on to get through the day, it's Who we thought we had to be in order to be loved, safe, to belong? Do I have to be perfect? Do I have to be successful? Do I have to be happy? Do I have to be easy to get along with? So let's dive into the logistics of how this thing works. So the Enneagram is set up on a diagram. It's a circle with nine numbers around the outer edges, and those numbers have lines connecting each of them to two other numbers. So the chart is broken down into three main centers, heart center, head center and gut center. Each number represents a different subset of people, so each subset has a core motivation, a basic fear and lots of behaviors and motivations that follow those two things. Now where that subset is on the diagram determines which center it is in and how that number naturally orients itself. So when going through the types, I'm going to start with the gut center. So when you go into typing yourself, your first objective is really to determine which number you are, but that can be, it can be helpful to think about which center you might be in. Our gut center is more inclined toward anger. They tend to have a strong sense of presence in their bodies and that includes types eight, nine, and one. Type 8 is the challenger, their basic fears of being harmed or controlled by others, and their basic desire is to protect themselves, to be in control of their own life and destiny. Then we have type 9, the peacemaker, their basic fears of loss and separation, and the basic desire is to have inner stability or peace of mind. Then we have type 1, the reformer, their basic fears of being corrupt or evil or defective, and their basic desire is to be good, to have integrity, and to be balanced. These types are more inclined toward depression or shame, and they tend to be very image conscious. And this includes types two, three, and four. So type two is the helper. The basic fear here is of being unwanted, unworthy of being loved, and the basic desire is to feel loved. We have type three, the achiever. The basic fears of being worthless, and the basic desire is to feel valuable and worthwhile. Then we have type for the individualist. The basic fear here is that they have no identity or personal significance and the basic desire is to find themselves and their significance to create an identity. Then we move on to the head center. These types deal more with anxiety or fear and tend to kind of retreat to their minds. We have type five, the investigator, the basic fears of being useless, helpless, or incapable. The basic desire is to be capable and competent. Then we have type six, the loyalist, the basic fears of being without support and guidance. And the basic desire is to have security and support. Then we have type seven, the enthusiast, the basic fears of being deprived and in pain. And the basic desire is to be satisfied and content to have their needs fulfilled. Now, each of these numbers have nine varying levels of health, from unhealthy to average to healthy. There are beliefs that you are constantly in pursuit of healthier levels up and onward, you know, it's like up and onward. But others believe that you are healthier or unhealthier for seasons of your life. And like I've said before, I'm of the belief that our levels of health vary even in a given day and even from situation to situation. So what this can look like for a type is that the lower levels of health are often like things like psychosis, like deep, deep levels. So for example, with the type nine, their lowest level of health is described as they finally become severely disoriented and catatonic, abandoning themselves, turning into shattered shells. Multiple personalities are possible here. Generally corresponds to the schizoid and dependent personality disorders. So that's like bare lowest, right? And then we get into kind of the true unhealthy for like most average people, which looks much more like being highly repressed, undeveloped, and ineffectual. They feel incapable of facing problems, may become obstinate, disassociating self from all conflicts, neglectful and dangerous to others. Now, more than likely, you as a listener, most average people relate more to the average levels of our numbers simply because that's how we show up most over the course of our lives. Like that's the most common. So average for type nine, for example, is they fear conflict, they become self-effacing and accommodating, they idealize others and kind of idealize the idea of like going along to get along, they say yes to things they do not really want to do, they fall into conventional roles and expectations, they use philosophies and stock sayings to deflect other people. And then we get into like the mid-range healthy here. So as we move up, they become receptive, accepting, unself-conscious, emotionally stable and serene, trusting of themselves and others, at ease with self and life, innocent and simple, patient, unpretentious, good-natured, genuinely nice people. So I share that just to give you kind of a glimpse into what that can look like for one type at their varying levels, but I do have episodes like going deep into the levels of health for every single number. Yeah, that's completely done. So that that series is over, so you can go check that out for your number if you would like. So at this point in the episode, we know what the numbers are. We've discussed levels of health, and now I want to dive into how the numbers connect to one another. So on the diagram, you find that each number connects to four other numbers. The two on the right and left of them on the diagram as well as the two that they're connected to by line going through the circle. The numbers to the left and right are called the wings. Wings are what you're seeing when people write out that they are a number, W, another number, like two, W, three. The dominant number is written first and then a W and it's followed by your wing. You can only have a wing that is to the right or left of your number, meaning a one could only be a one wing nine or a one wing two. Again, as with everything in the Enneagram, different teachers teach this in different ways. So some say that you are a wing for life. Others, like myself, believe that you can pull from either wing for support at any time. I'm personally more so of the opinion that we may show up as dominant one wing over the, uh, over the other in different seasons or circumstances based off of the demand of our life. So as a mother, I lean much more on my sixth wing to be prepared to have everything that I need to make sure that we're, you know, set up for success moving forward. But then in almost every other area of my life, I lean heavily on my eight wing to get things done, to bring tasks to completion, to hold my own in a room. Now, there are titles for each wing, and those are different based on the book that you're reading or the website you're referencing. So I am using the titles from the EnneagramInstitute.com, just so you know. So one wing nine is titled The Idealist, one wing two, The Advocate, two wing one, Servant, two wing three, Host, three wing two, Charmer, three wing four, The Professional, four wing three, The Aristocrat, four wing five, The Bohemian. 5 wing 4, the iconoclast. 5 wing 6, the problem solver. 6 wing 5, the defender. 6 wing 7, the buddy. 7 wing 6, the entertainer. 7 wing 8, the realist. 8 wing 7, the rebel. 8 wing 9, the bear. 9 wing 8, the referee. Or 9 wing 1, the dreamer. So now we know about wings. We can get into the lines connecting the types to one another. So each type has two lines, leaving it and going to it. Each of those lines represent either a move that you take during a time of stress or a time of rest. Each number can exhibit the behaviors of one of the numbers they're connected to, either when they are in stress or when they're feeling at ease. So for example, a type 1 will show up with some of the traits of a healthy 7 when they're in a time of rest and feel safe to do so. And when they're more stressed or feel unsafe, they will likely exhibit some of the lower characteristics of type 4. I often hear people say, oh, type 1, you look a lot like a type 7, you must be healthy. I want to clarify here that it's less about being healthy or unhealthy, right? That's shown in our levels of health. This isn't An indicator of whether you're healthy or unhealthy. It's more about resource and rest. So do you feel like you have everything you need? Are you secure in your surroundings, enough to show up safely? I think one is a great example of this. A relaxed one who feels safe is able to let loose, be more spontaneous. They found an inner cheerleader that can speak support into themselves and they feel safe to do so. When they don't feel secure or safe the normally very disciplined and self-restrained four may find themselves becoming more self-absorbed and melancholic like the lower levels of four This move is a less of a health shift and more of a seeking for resource. So they've likely balled their emotions up, pushed past their feelings to do the right thing, and they've pushed themselves to the point that they have to let go and express themselves honestly. There's also room to discuss how the lines... You're not only accessing the high level of your rest number and the low level of your stress number. That's more that we can go into in today's episode, but I do have an episode specifically about the stress and rest lines. And then we are in process of a series all about stress and rest lines for each Enneagram type. So go check that out as well if you want to go deeper into this particular area. Now for those that are new to the Enneagram, we're going to go a little bit deeper. This is the understanding that a lot of people never really even go to, but we're going to jump right in because I think it's one of the most important parts of the Enneagram. Those are the subtypes. <laughs> so there are three main subtypes. All people have all three basic instinctual drives that are essential for human experience. They are necessary, important to survival. They're not personality-based, but they are drivers. The things that motivate us each day in our choices and actions We all have all three instincts all of the time. However, one of the three becomes dominant, is more easily accessed, and therefore more easily used on a daily basis. In the Enneagram, the dominant instinct merges with the dominant number, forming essentially a more nuanced understanding of that number in three separate types for each Enneagram type. These are called the 27 subtypes. The subtypes are sexual or one-to-one, self-preservation, and social. When your intimate instinct is dominant, you are primarily motivated by the idea of leaving a legacy. You may tend to focus on the intensity of experiences and one-to-one relationships. This drives you to seek out opportunities in situations that promise strong connections to other people. When your self-preservation instinct is dominant, you have the desire to maintain and preserve your body, life, and function. You may be focused on physical safety, well-being, material comforts. You may find yourself reserving or hoarding your energy and resources in response to the demands of other people or your environment. And when your social instinct is dominant, you are driven by the desire to form secure social bonds and get along with the group. This can cause you to have a high social awareness. You may focus your energy on working towards shared purpose or for causes of the greater good. Now, the subtypes are a major reason why there is truly so much variation between numbers, like why one four won't look exactly like another four. For example, as a type seven, we often get described as being spontaneous putting our own needs first, and all of these things that I do agree with to some extent, but as a social seven, I find that I like to put myself last. I prioritize the needs of the group. I think about other people, and sometimes that can feel like I'm being missed by the description of the seven, but it's really just I have a, a nuanced version of this type, and we'll get into that more in a second. Actually, it takes us even further into the fact that each subtype has a counter type, so the counter type is the subtype for that number that projects as the opposite of the number. So, meaning that when you work counter type, you may be the dominant number that you identify with, but you present as potentially something very different. Like your motivations don't match your behavior or maybe you have a push-pull. So sevens tend to have a high focus on getting their needs met. A social seven is going to make sure other people's needs are met and may neglect their own. So for example, again, that social seven, the countertype, The instinct is to be of service to others, which can often cause them to appear like a two, the helper. And this is why it's so important to read your types instead of implicitly trusting a test that you take go through, read the types, even if you take a perfect quiz, it's still important to go through and read and understand. Finally, the Enneagram has an incredible number of groupings of three, so there are three centers of intelligence, the harmonic groupings, stances, three subtypes, object relation groups, and harmony triads. So like I mentioned before, I'm going to go deeper into all of these in future episodes, and we have covered several of these topics so far, but I just wanted to let you know groupings of three are like a big thing. (laughs) Just a heads up. Real quick, for those of you who are still typing yourself, I know this is a lot to take in, so I'm in the process of launching my typing system for you so that you can identify yourself in all of your types. So, We're actually like mid-process of launching this, so you can go check it out at theenneagramquiz.com. It's going to be linked in the show notes. Go ahead and take that quiz and see how it feels, but that'll at least give you a starting point of where to explore with your number. Another thing to know is if you're choosing between multiple types... Look and see if they're connected in any way, right? Do they share a line? Are they each other's wings? So this can help you to note, okay, I I relate to multiples and that's likely for these reasons. Like for me, I related a lot to one. I relate a lot to seven. I related a lot to five. Seven goes to type one when they're stressed and type five when they feel safe. So it actually, when I looked at it that way, made a lot of sense. Always focus on the basic fear and motivation of the type instead of the behavior patterns. Like memes are fun, but they miss a lot, right? So focus instead on motivation, not behavior. That's how you type yourself. And when you know your number, you will know it. So if you were deciding between multiple, I'd suggest listening to podcasts, watching videos with people discussing your number to see which one makes you feel the most understood. I also have Enneagram type descriptions on my website at sarahjanecase.com that you can read through each of those descriptions and just see which one you resonate with the most. And the biggest hang up that I see people fall into when they're typing themselves Is that they're afraid of their shortcomings. They kind of know their type, but they don't want that to be their type, so they resist it. But here's the thing we all feel that way about our number because we feel exposed. We feel like we have to change integral parts of ourselves, and it's scary and it makes us feel weird. But just know we all have shortcomings, we all have strengths. There is no wrong number, there is no bad number. We all just, you know, we all have things we're working on and we're all gonna be flawed forever. We're all trying our best. And finally, no one else knows your number. So this got me hung up for a really long time. You really can't type other people. You can hire me or someone else to do a typing interview with you where we help you to really nail down your type. And that happens through asking you questions, putting you back to yourself, understanding you through your eyes. But if someone's like, if you read a description and you were like, I know that I'm a type four, I relate to every single thing that I read on this page about type four. And then someone says, I think you're a type eight, then that is not their business. They do not know. This is your journey, your growth. You know yourself better than anyone else. That's all I have to say about that. I think it can be really confusing when we type other people flippantly. It can slow down their progress. It can manipulate them. It's just a messy beast. I have an entire episode on why I don't type people that you guys can look up if you're curious about my thoughts on that as well. And honestly, y'all, it took me a long time to really commit to a number but I will say those weren't years wasted. Through all of that research and reflection, I grew in character and in compassion. So you don't have to rush the process. It's fun for the memes on my account, it's fun to really feel like I know what I'm going to work on. But it's also the journey that brings about the most amazing results. So enjoy the process of getting to know yourself better. You deserve the time and attention to ask yourself good questions and to get to know yourself on a deep, intimate level. All right, friends, I know we covered a lot of content really fast. But like I said, we'll go into more depth on each of these in specific episodes so we can spend a lot more time lingering in all of the good stuff. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you. If you want to just take the quiz and give me feedback on it, very welcome. You can do that at the As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you and I will see you in the next one.